Hey, you ready? Hey, grab that right there. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad ready? We came here to see Jeff. What you hey, got? everybody, how's it going? Welcome to another edition of the Pack Back Block Show. Uh, I am going to be your solo host tonight. Uh, my name is Tom Gillis. You can find me at underscore Duke Tom on the Twitters. Uh, Joe had to uh, step away and had an emergency, and so it's going to be a little bit of a short show, but I'll do the best that I can, flying solo. Um, I don't know about you, but I am ready to get back to the grind. Um, it was kind of a weird schedule with how the holidays worked out. It just felt like I really haven't done much of anything productive in like a month, <laughs> aside from this podcast. I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to get back to the normalcy, get back to the routine, back to the consistency of a normal life post-holiday. The Ducks are coming off of a Rose Bowl victory over the Wisconsin Badgers on New Year's Day. Game MVP was Justin Herbert. He only threw 20 times, completing 14 of them for only 138 yards and one Jack Sanborn interception. But he also ran nine times for 29 yards and three touchdowns. Herbert ran for three touchdowns. Those ended up being the only touchdown scored on offense during this game. The defensive MVP, Brady Breeze, had a blocked punt. Was it, was it a blocked punt? I don't know. It kind of looked, looked like the punter dropped it. So we'll call it a fumble recovery. He had a, a, a blocked punt, fumble, mishandling, what have you. Uh, and ran that one in for a touchdown. He also added to that uh, another fumble recovery and 11 tackles. A couple of things that stuck out to me in this game, we only had five receivers catch a ball, which seemed really low to me. I'm sure that somebody out there could help me out and look at the numbers and tell me I was wrong. But I don't think that we've only thrown the ball to five different people in this game. It seemed pretty limited and pretty restricted. Um, I know that Jalen Red being out for personal reasons, but it just seemed really it just seemed really odd that we would only involve a few amount of receivers in the passing game. CJ Verdell only rushed 17 times for 49 yards. Another oddity, we'd only had like two or three people, one of which was Justin Herbert, on the stat sheet as rushers. I don't know. This was definitely not the Oregon team that we've used to been watch that we've been used to watching the last several weeks. It's almost like we turned into Wisconsin. We had the Iowa effect in the Rose Bowl. I saw also there was a stat that this was the 40-year low for amount of offense scored by the winning team in any bowl game. We only had 204 yards of offense. To me, this, the star of this game was the Oregon defense. They held Jonathan Taylor to under 100 yards. The Doak Walker award-winning Jonathan Taylor to under 100 yards and no touchdowns. Our offense probably caused an effect to my previous statement about not really having spread the ball out and not involving very many players. It seemed like it it couldn't really get up on its own. came out of the gates really fast, but then after the Badgers ran back the ensuing kickoff to our first touchdown, we just kind of lost a little life. And it wasn't until uh, Thomas Graham's interception that led to a touchdown that we really got some momentum. And then we just kind of seemed to, to be in it, but not really excited. 
I mean, uh, Wisconsin got a little bit of momentum going into the half and then really carried it on coming through the half. And then it really wasn't until Brady Breeze ran a fumble back for a touchdown that we seemed to kind of get our energy back going again. And then it just seemed that every time that we had a, a big play on offense or a scoring drive, it was preceded by a big mistake that Wisconsin had. Granted, they made some pretty big mistakes, but these two teams were so keyed in. Um, I'm going to say this again uh, for another game that I'm talking about today, but that it just came down to each team needed to play a perfect game. And whoever made the least amount of mistakes in the end would win the game. And that came down to Oregon. We didn't really do anything wrong. We didn't do, have any egregious errors, but we just didn't seem to, to really play to our potential the entire time of the game. It felt like Wisconsin was kind of in control and was, was controlling the tempo of the game for almost its entirety. And it, we just had to, to rely on our defense and special teams to, to rip that control away. And we held on to it long enough to score, but then Wisconsin would somehow get it back and just control the game. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think we were out of it at any point, but there were definitely times where we weren't controlling what we wanted to do on the, on the field. And if I'm, if I'm being honest, I don't think we win this game if it wasn't for that offensive pass interference on Wisconsin that set up the punt, which led to the next drive where Oregon just ran the clock out. They looked like they were getting something going. And if it wasn't for that pass interference to put them so far back in their, their own territory and give them such a long down, I, I got nervous there. I got nervous. I'm glad we did it. We did end up winning 28-27. And a win's a win, but I really, the the fan inside of me hoped it would have been a lot more convincing than that. Other games, we've already talked about the Vegas Bowl, the uh, Washington win over BSU, 38-7, fitting send-off for Chris Peterson. Some of the games we haven't talked about yet, though, is the Holiday Bowl, USC lost to Iowa, 49-24. I was wrong, I'll say that. If you go back and listen to the podcast I did with Hithliday, um, we both kind of agreed that Iowa, though though fundamentally sound, looked pretty unathletic on defense. It turns out that fundamentals wins the game. Iowa controlled this game pretty much from the time that they first touched the ball. Iowa's offensive line dominated the pass rush, dominated the USC defensive line. Uh, Player of the game, Amir Smith-Marset, a guy who wasn't even on my radar, had a six-yard touchdown run, a 13-yard touchdown reception, and a 98-yard kickoff return all in the second quarter. And when you have a guy that can score in three different ways, it's going to be really easy to win that game. Another determining factor was Keaton Slovis went out of the game with a shoulder injury just after the second half. And uh, Matt Fink looks rusty looked a bit scared at times was very hesitant and definitely not taking advantage of USC's strength which was what was its fast athletic receivers Slovis led the game in passing yards and only played a little bit more than one half of the game that's not a not a good stat I mean it's cool to say but it's not one you want to have the Cheez-It Bowl featured another Pac-12 loss where Air Force defeated Washington State 31 to 21 
Air Force dominated the time of possession. Air Force first drive alone was 12 minutes and 33 seconds. They held Max Borgie to under 58 total yards. Air Force quarterback Donald Hammond was only 4 of 12. Only completed 4 passes and still scored 31 points. Kept the Washington State defense busy. Washington State's linebacker Jihad Woods led the team with 20 total tackles. 20 tackles in a game. That'll tucker the guy out. But in the end, the Air Force beat out the Air Raid. Later on, Cal beat up on Illinois 35-20. Gabers looked good, probably for the first time since the beginning of the season. Um, He had four passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Also, the team ran the ball really well. Chris Brown Jr. was 20 for 120 total yards. It seemed like it was going to be anybody's game in the first quarter, uh, trading touchdown for touchdown for touchdown for touchdown. But then after the scoring flurry ceased, scoring was few and far between. Came down to Cal scoring sevens when Illinois was scoring threes. Utah lost to Texas 38-10 in the Alamo Bowl, one that they would like to forget. Uh, I thought that this game would be a lot more score-heavy. There'd be a lot more big passes because Texas has those big receivers and Utah had their top four defensive backs out either with injury or sitting out for the draft. And Texas has a very well-documented, depleted backfield themselves. Texas came out like they had something to prove and Utah struggled to get anything going on offense. The Texas controlled the tempo offensively. They controlled the tempo defensively. They did a really good job of controlling the line of scrimmage and the run game. And Utah just couldn't seem to scheme open any of their receivers. There were a lot of drops. There were a lot of thrown into disguised coverages. And we can all start the Texas is back chant. I'll probably be one of them. I don't know. It'll depend on what happens in the offseason. Uh, who goes to the draft and and what the the transfer portal situation looks like. But I don't know. If this Texas team comes out and plays like they did in this game all next season, they're going to be pretty hard to stop. Just down the road in El Paso, Arizona State was victorious over Florida State. Florida State had a very creative use of like two quarterback plays and plays where it was like a direct snap to the wide receiver. They really kind of got around all of the all the offensive power that Cam Akers brought to the team, which was my big concern was Cam Akers was their offense. And if he's not playing in this game, what are they going to do? And I was really impressed with the amount of creativity that the team was able to, to bring to the field. Uh, and I think it really came down to a lot of the errors that Florida State made. Otherwise, they would have been in this game a little bit more. Arizona State forced six turnovers. Florida State held Arizona State to only scoring field goals in the first half. I mean, those were the only points scored in the first half. So having a 9-0 going into the, the locker room at half was a bit strange for me to see. But then FSU came out and scored the first two touchdowns of the second half. And then just kind of forgot how to play football in the fourth quarter. The last four drives ended in, in order, a pick six, turnover on downs, interception, and fumbled. This FSU team has a lot of talent. Like They look good, but they just don't seem to be playing cohesive yet. And I really want to see Mike Norvell take this ragtag 
pieces of a machine and put them back together and get it running again. They're going to be pretty fun to watch next year. And I know Joseph will be glad to hear me say that. Uh, moving on to some more of the national bowls, Camping World Bowl featured an, a Notre Dame win over Iowa State. Ian Book closes this chapter with a win and an exclamation point. In the Cotton Bowl, Penn State beat the pants off of Memphis 53-39, proving it's the journey, not the destination. Journey Brown leading the team with 202 rushing yards in this game and two touchdowns. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell only had nine carries for 34 yards and one touchdown for Memphis. In the Orange Bowl, Florida. In the Liberty Bowl, Navy beat Kansas State. In the Belk Bowl, the last ever Belk Bowl, University of Kentucky beat Virginia Tech 37-30 behind the People's Heisman winner, Lynn Bowden Jr., running the literal wildcat the entire game. Lynn Bowden had a bowl record for rushing yards by a quarterback with 233 yards and two touchdowns, but managed also to score a passing touchdown despite having a hangnail on his throwing hand. All. Bama beat Michigan in the Citrus Bowl 35-16, to silencing all critics, saying that they wouldn't care about being in a non-important bowl. It was the Jerry Judy Najee Harris show. Judy had 204 receiving yards and a touchdown. Najee Harris had 136 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Uh, my question here is, does this put Harbaugh on the hot seat? Uh, as a Michigan fan, I've kind of been a Michigan apologist for a while now, but he just doesn't seem to be able to win the big game. I don't know. What do you think? At me. Another big ball game, fifth-ranked Georgia taught seventh-ranked Baylor how to play football. Uh, they won 26 to 14, despite multiple players sitting on Georgia's team in quite possibly the last game for Matt Rule, as he is rumored to be the heavy favorite to take the New York Giants head coaching position. The college football playoff brought us LSU, Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl, where LSU didn't have any trouble at all against the mediocre Oklahoma defense. Joe Burrow scored eight touchdowns. 493 yards in the air and broke a record for the most number of touchdowns scored in a bowl game. Folks, he did that by half. To quote the great Dennis Green, they are who we thought they were. They've definitely put an impressive show and look like it's going to be hard for the winner of the for the winner of the Fiesta Bowl to do anything about it. That happened to be Clemson over Ohio State 29 to 23. Defense was the theme of this game. The difference in this game was when Isaiah Simmons picked off the interception in the third quarter. The points were few and far between and hard to come by during the second half. And it just came down to, like I said earlier, both teams needed to run just a perfect game. And it was going to come down to the team who made the least number of errors. And Ohio State made more mistakes. And I do need to give credit. Joseph, you were right. I was wrong. But I'm calling my shot now. I've got LSU over Clemson in the national championship game. LSU has the DBs to cover Clemson receivers, and Clemson has the DB, DBs to cover LSU's receivers. Um, I do think that Justin Jefferson is a little bit better than, than T. Higgins and John Ross, 
overall, I think John Ross has the has the size and the frame, and Higgins has the speed. But I think Justin Jefferson has both of those put together. What Clemson needs to do in this game is they need to make sure that they cover all, and I mean all, of LSU's receivers. Because Joe Burrow is going to find that one that you don't. LSU needs to make sure that they pressure Trevor Lawrence and contain Travis Etienne. LSU has the better defensive secondary, in my opinion. Top to bottom, where Clemson has a few guys who are really good, which is why they're going to struggle keeping that whole arsenal of LSU wide receivers at bay. My final score prediction on this one is uh, LSU wins 28-26. And it might not even be that close. Um, Speaking of national championships, another game being played this weekend is the FCS championship, North Dakota State over JMU. Uh, Despite North Dakota State coming in looking for its 36th straight win and its ninth title in the last 10 years, James Madison University is still favored by a point and a half. Uh, if you guys have any insight on this, please let me know again at underscore Duke Tom. In other Duck news, uh, men opened conference play with a 74 to 65 loss to Colorado. Both teams were 11 and 2 coming into this game. Peyton Pritchard tried his best. Tyler Bay and McKinley Wright proved to be just too much for this Ducks team that frankly, kind of looked a little, a little young. Um, they don't seem to quite have their, their playing as a team down yet, where it should be at this part of the season. I know that they're only bringing back Peyton Pritchard as a starter from last year, but it seems like at this point of the season, they should be playing a little bit more coherently and more as a team. Um, I also know that you know trying to, to slowly ease Nafali Dante into the lineup because he's going to be a beast once he starts playing a consistent like 10 minutes at a time or like 25 minutes a game I think he's only getting about 12 to 15 now you can't win a game in this day and age by only going 16 percent from the three-point line we also lost a turnover battle uh we had five more turnovers than they did I think Colorado is one of those sneaky teams that is going to be good. They'll probably end up being a lower-end seed and might have an upset or two in, come March. So keep an eye on those guys. And let's hope that the women's team has a better shot against the Buffs uh, tonight. Um, that's going to do it for me. Uh, I wish everybody a great new year. I encourage everybody to just get out and, and do something. Like sit down with your family, your friends, or just by yourself and write out a few things that you want to get done this year and then do it. I did that last year. It was so empowering. I have like five things on my list this year. And yeah, I'm really excited about this next year. 2020 is going to be a good year. So go Ducks.